You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 14 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. Events-based reporting for SMSFs went through an impressive turnaround. It changed from applying to every SMSF to only affecting funds with a balance of one million or more. And it changed from a tight schedule of 10 days after month's end to a much more achievable deadline of 28 days after quarter end. How did this turnaround come about? I'm talking to Ron Lesh, Managing Director of BGL, who was closely involved in all this. Here's Ron. We first heard, I suppose, or, or saw stuff on the T-Bar in March at an ATO workshop. So we were invited to a workshop by the ATO to look at the reporting around the new requirements. And at that stage, you had no idea that there was something like T-Bar on the table. I knew that there was a new form. I didn't know exactly what that form was going to include or how it was going to work or, or, or what the ATO's plans were or anything like that. Although I understand that some of that had already been discussed with people. I see. So you had a little bit of an inkling? Well, no, 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 I understood. I found out later that it had been discussed with people. It wasn't something that I knew at the time. Okay. So it came uh, complete out of the blue. Correct. So we were were at a workshop in Sydney and the ATO started talking about its reporting requirements and what it was going to do under the new, uh, under the 2016 super changes. And I I sort of sat there and I was in a session with representatives from um, all the major accounting organisations. I think uh, SMSF Association were there a number of administrators, a few other people were there. You know, one of the, I suppose, we were asked at the beginning of the session, do you trust the ATO to actually be able to implement this correctly on a scale of one to five rank it? And I gave it a zero because I had no confidence in them being able to do it. They then asked us the same question at the end. I gave it a two. Most people gave them a five. I thought those people were delusional, but obviously they're people who haven't been involved in the day-to-day software side of dealing with the ATO as we have for 20-odd years. So when you saw what the ATO had in mind, were you... Look, I was concerned that it was overkill. And then more information started coming out about what they planned to do, who it was going to apply to, how it was going to work, all that sort of stuff. And I just sort of said, and I think it sort of all sort of clarified in June, and we started talking about it internally here, and we said, look, this is ridiculous. Using a sledgehammer to, to collect information from a few people that we need to collect information from. So, And we already knew that of the S MSF population, about 15% were going to be affected by the 1.6 million. So when they said, oh, we're going to collect information from 100%, we sort of said, well, why? Why do you need to collect information from people who are never going to have to report T-bar events? And the ATO said, oh, so we can notify them when they have a T-bar event. We said, well, if they're never going to have one, why do you need to report, collect all this information? Anyway, so we started... Well, they, they would have a T-bar event, but they wouldn't ever come close, close to 1.6 million. million. Yeah, yeah. So they might have a key power event to report a start of a pension or whatever, but, but really never come close to the, the whole reason for the, for the T-bar, which was to record or to, to get information on people who are over the 1.6. Anyway, 
so we we started a campaign with our clients in to tell the ATO, to tell the ATO and we started that in late uh, July because we had our, our RegTech seminars coming up in August and it was an opportunity to speak to 1,200 clients and tell them this is what the ATO is planning on doing. We're not really happy about it. We would like your help to tell the ATO we don't think this is a really good idea. And I can tell you the looks in the room from clients when we told them what they'd have to do, they were flabbergasted. Most of them had no idea because there really hadn't been a lot of really promotion of what the ATO was planning on that stage, even though from what I understand, it was pretty well set in concrete or close to setting concrete uh, by the end of June as to this is what you were going to do. We're doing this with the big funds. We're going to get the self-managed funds to do the same. So we sort of said, well, we don't think this is good enough. And we said there has to be a way that we can tell the ATO what the SMSF practitioners think. So we started this campaign, Tell the ATO. We asked our clients to... On Twitter. Uh, uh, well, both on Twitter and on... Um, we, we actually did a causes.com petition as well, yes. addressed to both the uh, assistant treasurer, uh, Kelly O'Dwyer, and also the, um, the the head of the ATO, Chris Jordan. Now, Kelly, I know because Kelly's my local member and I've got some had some other contacts with her. So I mentioned to Kelly that an SMSF association function in June that I didn't think this was a really good idea. And uh, she wasn't overly aware of what was going on at that point, but uh, so I sort of left it there. Anyway, we started to run this campaign with clients at the same time. Uh, and how much, how much response did you have from clients? Uh, I think we got two to 300 clients responded to the survey. It wasn't as much as I would have liked, but we certainly got a lot of phone calls and emails. And 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 I think probably the most important thing is it, it brought awareness into the industry. Yeah, it kicked off the discussion. It kicked off the discussion. And the ATO started talking to us and to the other software suppliers and to other people about it. So we we had a meeting initially in early August with the ATO in Brisbane uh, with Casey McFarlane and, and uh, a couple of others and uh, um, myself and a couple of people from the SMSF Association, John Maroney and one of the other one of the other guys. And uh, we sat down and we talked to and and I Casey didn't really, I suppose, understand what the issues were from the self-managed superfund practitioner's perspective were at that point in time. And nobody had sort of anything, said anything to us, so it probably doesn't surprise me that that was the case. Anyway, so we, that was then followed up by another meeting a couple of weeks later, and then we had a, a number of other meetings and discussions uh, sort of heading up towards when the ATO came up with their position paper, which really came from what we said to the ATO should have been the option or what should have been what they were doing, and that was to move it all to quarterly and to exclude people who were under a million dollars. Now, that was the figure that we threw around at the very first meeting. I don't know if I came up with it or somebody else came up with it. It was certainly the, the sort of inf stuff that we threw at them at that point. All the submissions came in from the uh, all the organisations, because, of course, everybody now said, oh, we can make a submission. So they all uh, basically came in and said exactly what we said. Now, I should and say... And that was after the August position paper? Or that was after the position paper. Mm -hmm. Very little. We heard very little from any of the organisations apart from SMSF Association and the Institute of Public Accountants. We didn't hear anything from... And the others. And, uh, and so when the August position paper came out, were you quite disappointed because you had been talking to the ATO at that stage and they were still talking about option one and option yeah, two? Yeah, look, I, the fact that we got option two in there, I, we thought was a good step forward rather than a, rather than anything else. So mm -hmm. option two was getting closer to the position we wanted. And they still had some stuff around 10 days and whatever, but that was mm -hmm. that sort of been, that was resolved a little bit later. I think the submissions that they got back from that, and they said they got 170 submissions 
technicians. I, they were surprised they got that many. I was surprised they got that few. Mm-hmm. They got 170 submissions, and basically I would suggest all the submissions had the same thing, to, or pretty close to it, 28 days, oh, apart from maybe one of the software suppliers, uh, 28 days and limited to, to people under a million dollars, even the over a million dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I saw um, I saw the the submissions for most of the organisations, and that's what they they all sort of said. So we we sort of at that point was starting to get everybody on the on the same page. I had a I had a call from the ATO the week before they put out the position paper, just telling us what they were doing. We also had a call from the ATO when they were much closer to a decision, saying this is where where we are. And but they they said, look, you can't say anything about it until we do the final release, and that was about four weeks later. So I think they definitely made the decision. Uh, and didn't the, didn't Kelly or Dwyer yeah, mention that came? In, I think that came in later. I think from what we can see, the ATO's original position was they were going to do it for everybody, but they were going to do it twenty eight days. And then I think at that point, the minister got involved, and she sort of said to them, "Is what these people are saying are correct?" and and. I suppose the response you got from the ATO was yes, uh, eventually. It would have been a long-winded response. It wouldn't have been one word. Anyway, I've seen some of the responses that the various government authorities have given ministers in the past, and you really do wonder what people spend their time doing. Anyway, that's a different story. But anyway, I'm sure Kelly would have got a long-winded response from the ATO, but the end result would have been yes. And then Kelly, from what I understand, said, well, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? There's no need to do it. Isn't what's being proposed that everyone who's got a balance greater than a million report or, or with a, a balance at whatever point that happens to be reported and, uh, and go from there. So uh, I think that's when she got, certainly got involved. Her office got involved. I bumped into Kelly at uh, the uh, APA conference, I think it was, up in Queensland. And as Kelly was walking past me on her way to doing a session, she said, Ron, we fixed your problem. And I said, Thanks, Kelly. Which problem have you fixed? <laughs> um, and it was sort of like that because I didn't know what she was talking about at the time. Anyway, I then found out a few days later through other channels that uh, the problem she fixed was this problem of the million dollars. And I then got a call from one of the people in her office uh, who is her person from Treasury in charge of superannuation who gave me a call to wanted to talk about it. I missed the call, but I got back to her and she basically said, this is what the, the minister did. And I thought, well, this is, you know, this is a good result. It's good to see that the minister got involved in it and that we got the result that's good for the industry. So that's sort of the whole story as to, as to how it came along. Would anything have changed if we hadn't got involved? I don't know the answer to that. From what I was seeing, nobody else was challenging what the ATO was doing. One of the things about BGL is we're, we're not scared to throw our hat in and give, and give an opinion on, on what we think. We've been in this industry for a very long time. We've seen a lot of changes, seen a lot of things happen. But our, our focus has been always on what is best for our clients. And what we were seeing, what was going to come in in terms of reporting was uh, unrealistic for our clients. So we needed to come up with a solution that worked for them. And I think what we've come up with is reasonably workable for them. Uh, look, we'll see over the next 12 months, 18 months, as long as the ATO gets the technology in place and all the other things that they need to do, then uh, we should be right and it should be okay. What it is doing is, is it is pushing people who have got, who are doing 
admin for self-managed super funds who have got pension funds to look at moving to the cloud because they need to be able to report more often and see what's happening more often in their clients' funds. So that's certainly happening. And then that's probably a good result of it. One of the reasons the other software suppliers were very keen to have the 10-day reporting after the end of the month was that it meant more people had to move to software. I sort of take, took the view, look, I would love more people to move to software, but I don't think that should be the reason why they move. And a lot of the events that need to be reported in TBA, you can't see in the software anyway. So, for example, when a trace is moved to... Oh, no, we can see. We can see all those things in the software because they have to put in something in the software to tell us that it is. So we can see most of the events and any transaction that relates to the events, we are actually capturing as part of those transactions. Yeah, yes, if, when, the, when these transactions are correctly booked, when, the, when, when it's coming through as unallocated bank transactions, then you can't. We can't. Yes. Yeah, but they, they, the client, well, some of them come through as unallocated. Some of them come through the, the members alloc- member screen, so we know exactly what they are. Um, but the others, yeah, they come through as unallocated, but they have to allocate them. They're, they're sitting in the, in the unposted transactions or unmatched transactions, so so they have to allocate them to somewhere and know what they're about. And you would normally hope that the administrator has been involved in any of these pension changes so that they are in, they know what's going on when the, when the transactions start to flow. Yeah, yeah. So it just means that administrators need to be more on top of allocating transactions for funds that are close to the uh, cutoff. Well, I think they've got to be, do it for every fund because you never know what's going to happen. Somebody could do a, someone could do a roll in of 300k, um, for three you know, three-year carry forward, they could sell their house and bring another 300K. Yeah, Suddenly there could yeah, be 600K going mm-hmm. into the fund almost instantly. Um, they could already have 500,000, so they could pretty quickly get over that million if they were in that situation. Like, not that many are, but certainly, uh, you know, if someone sells a house and they and they do put a lot of money in their pocket and the likelihood is that they don't have a, a mortgage over the house, so, you know, it's an older generation at that point, uh, that they would have 600,000 to put into super yeah. per person. Mm-hmm. So it could be 1.2 million going into the fund, even though it's over the two members, and it could bring at least one, if not both the members in the fund, over the million. million. So they they need to keep a track of what's going on more often, and they need to know what events their clients are doing. Look, we'll see what the final result is or what they exactly want reported. Do you have any numbers yet? How many, what percentage will be affected by the TBA among your clients? Yeah, look, original estimate was somewhere between 10 and 15% will be affected by the TBA. It's about right. Ten to fifteen thousand, ten to fifteen percent of self-managed super funds will be mm. will be affected. So it's about one hundred and fifty thousand funds. Mm. But that's a, di- a bit difficult, a bit different from than reporting from six hundred thousand. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm. And so is BGL already ready for T? I mean, whether the ATO is ready is another question. Well, we're we're doing it in stages. The first, certainly, the stuff in the software to record T bar events has been there since July since 1st of July or before that. The T-Bar paper form they can now do through the software and the other forms, the flat file and then eventually the proper, the full reporting we're building at the moment. So mm-hmm. I think they're, they're planned for early next year at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because you also need the ATO to give you the technical... Yeah, we haven't we haven't seen any specifications yeah. for the electronic uh, proper electronic yeah. lodgement. The technical setup will probably be very similar to the normal lodgement Correct. setup. It's going it's going to be through the PLS, PLS system yeah. through uh, SBR two mm. is is the plan to lodge those forms. And the first one you won't need to lodge until the twenty eight days after the end of September. So we're really almost yeah. talking end of October next year yeah. uh, next year. So we've got quite a while. Yeah. The first bit of reporting clients will see will be in the two thousand and eighteen tax return. I would expect. 
point. There'll be some more uh, some more fields to collect some data through there. And the ATO want to try and collect the smaller balances through there. So there'll be a little bit more reporting in terms of stuff through there. So we'll see that coming through. We should see the specs for that, I would expect, early next year. Yes. Um, normally the ATO tries to finalise the specifications for the electronic lodgement sort of February, March. Uh, and then if there's any budget changes, put those in later. But uh, that so that's when we should start to see the, the, the actual specifications for what what the the final things or the more final things are going to look like. In this movement to bring the ATO to, to their senses, do you find that the different players in the industry kind of came came together more? And they, they did and they didn't look... Uh, one of the things that in every industry is everyone's pushing their own barrow. So some of our competitors, for example, wanted to keep the reporting at 10 days because they thought it would get them more business. Um, so they were still, some of them were still pushing for that. Others in the professional association, certainly the IPA, the SMSF association, and eventually the, the submission that I, the, from the uh, CAs all talked about exactly the same thing, which was what, what we ended up as the, with the result. Um, I didn't see the submission from the CPA, so I have no idea what they put in theirs, but I would presume it wouldn't be too far away either. So the, most of the submissions, I think, probably came from practitioners who would have gone for those options and uh, would have gone for option B and maybe some variations on option B. We actually sent around some suggested stuff for our clients as to what they should respond to the ATO, as to what we thought was reasonable, which was exactly what we ended up with. So maybe that's what the majority of responses we got. They came closer together, I think, by the end, but I don't think anyone ever all got on the same page. I think there's just too much self-interest. Uh, we, we, not to say that we're not above self-interest, but uh, certainly our interest with this whole exercise, which was in terms of, um, in terms of uh, adding more clients to our web products, it was more detrimental than it was advantageous to take the approach that we took. And we just thought that was the right Right, right process to take for our clients, right thing to do for them, and what result we ended up with, we ended up with. So it was good. In the end, it was good. It was also good, and I should say that the ATO listened. Because yes. Did that surprise you? I was quite surprised how far... Yeah, they moved a long way. Yeah, how far they moved. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, look, I don't know. Maybe, hmm. maybe putting a bit of pressure through the minister uh, helped. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it probably did. I just... I think they started to realise what they were suggesting was not practical in the majority of cases. And it was a, and it was a wish list rather than a, an actual practical. Yeah, and probably more than they could have handled anyway as well. Look, possibly more they could have handled. If, if they got the electronic solutions right, handling it should not have been a problem. But on the other side of that, the ATO have had some... Problems recently, even as of last week, with gateways and all sorts of things and obviously with their systems, and even though they're trying to get it all right, um, I don't think they're there yet. And I, I, I know they're saying everything's wonderful and we've got everything's working beautifully, but from a, the number of times we've seen things go down and not work or this not happening or whatever is, is still quite, you know, it happens reasonably regularly. So I don't think they're there yet with their systems. But am I surprised they moved as far as they did? Yes and no. I think it might have something to do with the people involved that they're actually prepared to listen and they want to work with the industry because they see that as important. In other times, the ATO has taken a more dogmatic approach to them. But uh, this time, I think they took the right one. Welcome back. So this was the behind-the-scenes story of the events-based reporting turnaround seen from BGL's perspective. 
In the next episode, episode 15, Claire Thornet of WLF will talk about fringe benefit tax. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.